Product managers are responsible for guiding the design and overall functionality of software. The relationship between product managers and engineers is complementary. A PM is viewing the product from a perspective that is closer to the customer, so the PM often has the responsibility of navigating high-level trade-offs in the functionality of a product. Susie Prince is the head of product at ThoughtWorks, and she joins the show to discuss how she navigates trade-offs as a PM. We also explored communication strategies for how PMs can work productively with engineers, and the overall product development process, as well as the product development process in how it may differ in a small company versus a larger company. Susie Prince is the head of product at ThoughtWorks. Susie, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, thanks for having me. Today we're going to be talking about product management and the interaction between product management and engineering. Let's start off with with that. How should an engineer view a product manager? That's a great question. I often think about the other way around, um, being a product manager and how I view engineers. But I think for uh, engineers viewing product managers, it probably varies somewhat depending on the organization. Um, But in general, um, I definitely think that um, a engineer should expect the product manager to be um, a teammate, someone that they work with regularly, um, somebody equal in the process of software development and product development. Um, In most cases, I would expect a product manager to be really seen as a leader for the engineer and really be able to answer really vital questions for them, um, the vision for the product, what is the strategy, um, but on a more tactical basis, like what is the number one thing that I should be doing? What can I do to make our product better? better? Those are the things that I think um, an engineer should be able to um, rely on a product manager for and see the product manager as someone who um, can provide those answers and, and lead them um, in the product direction. And how should the, the product manager be interacting with the engineer? What kinds of, like, what kinds of delegation does uh, a product manager have the responsibility to give to an engineer? Because it's kind of like a different relationship than the relationship between the engineer and the engineering manager. Yes, I would say, you know, the way I view it is um, I I view um, developers or engineers, software engineers as as highly skilled people. Um, These are people with um, expertise um, and things that I do not have expertise in. Um, And particularly the thing specifically that I'm interested in is obviously like their technical skill and their ability to implement things in the right way. So I would almost always, um, I think without exception, even though I work on technical products for you know technical users um, without exception I would always rely on um, software engineers to design the system um, to um, make the correct implementation so whether that be languages of choice or software platforms of choice um, those kind of things I would almost almost um, always rely on engineers or engineering managers to make those decisions. Um, They're definitely outside of what I consider to be a product manager's, um, um, you know, um, realm. And also, I think um, I also rely on them to talk me through, you know, possible um, edge cases in particular requirements. Um, So although I think that that is a more combined um, exercise, um, if I'm thinking through requirements, I obviously should be thinking about that. There's obviously a quality assurance aspect to that as well. But I expect really uh, an engineer to give me the gotchas, Um, like that's not going to work because of this, or um, have you thought about the implications of this versus this? Um, So those are the things that I I rely on um, for the engineers to do. Um, And then the other thing I think is really important, at least for the way that my team works, is to build a system that, um, that is up up to change later on. Um, so I really want to be able to um, change the product direction um, depending on the needs of the users. And so um, engineering a system, designing a system that is flexible to changing requirements, I think is actually really important and something I specifically look for um, in the teams that I work with. 
What are the mediums that you use to communicate with engineers on a regular basis? Are you just using email or do, do you do you delegate tasks using Trello? What are the the task managers and the communication platforms you use with engineers? Yeah, so the team that I work on um, is very small. Um, we're all co-located. Um, so I'd, I would say in general, um, it's normally face-to-face communication. Um, so I attend daily stand-ups and I actually sit, um, you know, within touching distance of most of our development team because we're small. Um, but we also use... Um, you know, Slack, we're big, big Slack users, um, as I'm sure many of your listeners are. Um, and we love that forum um, so that if people do work remotely or they, you know, they're offline for some time, um, they're able to sort of follow the team communication. So we, we use that a lot. And I'm I'm part of that that team discussion. Um, and then we also use a, we actually make a, pro, a project management tool that's called Mingle. So we happen to use that. Um, it's similar to uh, a Trello. That's the same um, sort of agile card wall board. We use that for um, specific tracking specific pieces of work. Um, so I would use that in combination with a stand-up to say like, this is the work we have today. Who's available? Let me chat to you about what those things are. I've worked with product managers at the different companies that I did engineering at, but I didn't ever really have much perspective for how the product manager interacts with the rest of the company, with management. I read this book recently called Chaos Monkeys, which is about basically culture at Facebook. It's about this guy whose company gets acquired by Facebook, and then he kind of goes through the integration process. And I, I definitely recommend it for anybody who's an engineer out there. But one of the things he said that's interesting, and this may be just a property of Facebook, but he talks about these scenarios within Facebook where you have a product manager and you have the product manager who's, who's, in, who's uh, talking to a bunch of engineers. And there are scenarios where the engineers lose faith in the pro- product manager because you know the product manager has some responsibilities to go out and negotiate with other teams. And then if the product manager you know fails to do that successfully, the the engineers lose faith. And then they just start to ignore what the product manager says and they do whatever they want. And then the burden the burden ends up falling on the product manager when that product cannot ship. And so it, it sounded like it, this this was a property of Facebook, at least at a certain time where, you know, if the, the product manager didn't actually have that much leverage. They just w- kind of were uh, talking to the engineers. and But at the same time, the product manager became a scapegoat when a product couldn't ship. So I just mentioned that because I'm curious about the the management structure and where the product manager sits in the management structure and also like how to keep things harmonious with the engineers. Could you, could you put a, like a larger framing on where the product manager sits relative to other people in the organization? Yes. Um, at least I'll do my best from the perspective that I have. I would say, you know, you often hear this phrase or at least product managers use this phrase often to describe themselves, which is like CEO of the product. Um, and the way I view that um, particular, you know, whether I agree with it completely or not, um, is that there's responsibility there, right? You're the CEO of something. And I think that um, very often um, the perspective is that the product manager um, is ultimately responsible for that particular product. And so in the scenario that you talked about, you know, not shipping on time, I think it's um, very often in the hierarchy that, yes, that would happen, that it would be the product manager's um, responsibility for doing that. Um, I think it does depend on the organization where they want to say the buck you know, where the buck stops. Um, But many product managers would feel that responsibility themselves because the hierarchy is set up that way. Um, Whether I think that's right or not, you know, is is perhaps a different question. Um, So I think generally what you would have is you would have a product manager reporting to um, a head of product who would report into either a senior executive leadership team or directly to the CEO. 
Um, in many cases, there's just a single product manager uh, reporting to a founder. Um, and so, yeah, I think there is a, a lot of responsibility for those product managers um, to manage the situations that you describe um, and really have the respect of the team. And I think lack of um, lack of respect or, or um, you know, them not seeing the product manager as... Um, an adequate leader is very problematic in most of the structures uh, that I have seen. It's kind of a different situation than most engineers are in. You know, an engineer can typically, uh, I mean, you can be an engineer who is not, have diplomat, good diplomatic mm-hmm. ties with anybody else in the company, and you'll still be fine because you're, as long as you're shipping code, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to work at a place where that kind of kind of thing happened on a regular basis, but as an engineer, you know, you don't necessarily have to develop diplomacy, but uh, a product manager seems integral to the role. I would say so. I would say, yeah, I think if you had a, a dysfunctional product manager, and I've definitely seen that, um, it would be a, a, a huge risk to your product. Um, and you would definitely want to sort of resolve that dysfunction as quickly as possible. Um, the occasional dysfunctional or, or uh, you know, yeah, lack of certain skills for an engineer, um, I think are not key to their success in their role. And so it's probably, yeah, not as much of a problem. When a company is small and it's building its first product, the plan for product management is often quite clear-cut. There's a minimum viable product okay. that has to get shipped, and then the company wants to get some traction quickly. ThoughtWorks, where you work, is a bigger company, and as I understand, the company started as a consultancy. Over time, you started de- developing your own products. So anyway, in any case, the, the structure of the company makes it such that there's less pressure to get something out the door immediately because it's not going to impinge upon the company company's existential uh you know ability to survive but i i point that out just as an example of there's different companies and there's different sizes and different structures how does that affect how the company thinks about product management and the pace at of, of shipping product yeah, I think that is a really uh, good question because depending on what you're trying to do, um, you would have a different take on um, sort of quickness versus completeness or something like that. Um, I think I always start with asking the question like, why are we doing this thing? Um, and be be that, why are we building the product in the first place or why are we building this particular feature or why are we fixing this particular bug? Um, the answer to that question helps the product manager or, you know, the whole team decide um, those different sort of um, urgency versus polished um, levers. Um, so a good example would be, you know, um, a really simple example would be if you have a critical bug um, and that is stopping, you know, people from using your product, um, the full value of your product, you would have urgency around doing that. Um, or if you have a one-time shot shot at releasing, um, and often that's what um, startups feel that they have, they have this one opportunity to go live. Um, you're going to make a different choice than if you already have a set of existing customers or um, you're not you know, driving to a, a different sort of revenue goal. Um, perhaps you're not doing it for revenue at all. Um, so I think the question always is like, what is the motivation for the organization to do this at, at all? And that will help you answer the questions about um, how, yeah, how you how you should go about doing it, I guess. Um, How do you divide your time between talking to customers of the product and talking to your own team? Yeah, that is a really great question as well. Product managers are always talking about prioritizing, um, prioritizing for their product, but also talking about their own prioritization skills and their own, um, you know, um, task management I think that the first thing that um, we always need to do is is recognize where our tendency lies. Um, So some organizations will um, 
just naturally be sort of more insular and spend more time with each other. Um, and I would say that in general, um, ThoughtWorks tends to be like that, um, which means that we have really good inter-team communication and team communication. Um, and it's really easy for me as a product manager to spend my time doing that because it comes naturally to the organization um, and there's demands from my time to do that. So I think that it's it's important for me to recognize that and then be very um, specific and very focused on um, doing the other parts of the role that either may not come naturally to the organization or the team or to myself. So I think that the key part is like recognizing what is my default here um, and then making space for the other one that is not. Um, some other organizations, I've seen a lot of product managers spend a lot of time with their sales teams um, because there'll be a draw from the sales team for the product manager's time. That product manager needs to be recognized, okay, I'm spending a lot of time with this particular group, perhaps not with my engineers, maybe not with my customers. I need to be very um, specific um, about, about doing that. And then um, the other thing is that um, when you're doing it to not let urgent issues um, influence you so as you know being the sort of CEO of the product you're often uh, in demand for what I would call um, urgent but perhaps not important issues Um, you really need to manage am I spending my time on things that um, are urgent or am I spending my things on the most important things Um, so those two things recognizing your normal tendencies and asking yourself like does it just feel urgent rather than you know uh, strategically important work an engineer is going to have certain key performance indicators that will be things that they are checked against by their manager maybe at the end of a quarter or at the end of a sprint. These are the benchmarks for how they measure their success. What about for a PM? What are the KPIs that a PM gets measured against? Yeah, I ha- have to think about this a little. Um, we don't have very um, formal KPIs um, for our okay. product managers at ThoughtWorks. Um, but having said that, I do sort of have them um, in my mind of the kind of things I'm looking for in people um, and whether I would call a product manager successful or not. Um, and I think, you know, we talked about earlier um, this situation you were talking about um, at Facebook uh, and whether, you know, the product ships or not, whether I would consider that a KPI for a product manager. And I think like product success is probably what people would first say, you know, if the product's successful, then the product manager must be successful. Um, And if the product's a failure, the product manager's a failure. Um, I don't think it's as simple as that um, because I think products um, are successful for many, many reasons um, and they obviously fail for many reasons as well. Um, So I think the thing that I look for, and it maybe isn't exactly what you were looking for in an answer, um, but it's the one that I have, is that I'm really looking for the product manager to really, really understand um, the status of their, the business of their product. Um, so who is using it? Why are they using it? Um, what can we expect from this product? And what do we need to do to reach that, um, you know, that moment of success for the product? And so I sort of talk, think about that as I want them to be very knowledgeable about their product, but also speak very truthfully about how we need to get to the place that they think we need to get to for the product and what that requires. Um, and I, I guess what I'm saying with that is um, if I look at the market and I, um, I think in order to be successful, um, we need to do these sets of things. And to do those sets of things, I need these kind of resources and I need this kind of marketing and I need these, these kind of engineers. Um, I need a product manager to be able to tell me that. Um, and the organization should expect the product manager to be able to lay that out. This is what it looks like. This is where we're going. This is what I need. So that the organization can make decisions about where their investment lies. And so that's a long-winded KPI. I don't think it was very succinct. But the, the thing is, I want them to be knowledgeable and I want them to tell the truth and very clearly articulate um, so that the organization can make correct choices about that product. 
Are you ever doing design work as a product manager? Like if if you're about to launch a product or you're about to launch a feature, is it the responsibility of the product manager to do a mock-up or a prototype or the visual representation of the new product? This can vary again a lot. Um, I sometimes do them um, and I am not a designer and I do not have um, formal skills in that, but it's like needs be sometimes. Um, and I think that's very much the sort of product manager um, ethos. Um, it's got to get done. And if I don't have a designer or um, my engineer is looking at me right now and we need to make a decision about something and that's going to take, you know, weeks for me to get a mock-up um then we're probably gonna you know sketch it on a whiteboard together um so i would say that it really does depend in our organization we definitely prefer to have you know experts expert designers um but sometimes that doesn't happen and so yes it has definitely been known that as a product manager um i will do that and generally i'll stick to some guidelines that somebody else expert in our organization um, will have laid out in advance. Um, and that makes it a lot easier for me to make those choices. And sometimes it is just, you know, gut and um, create creativity. And some product managers, you know, are, are highly skilled at it. Um, so it really does depend on um, the organization and the specific skills. Uh, but I would, I would say if I saw a product manager being very reluctant to do it, um, that would concern me because um, you would not want the lack of that to, to block progress. And I'd want to sort of do it quickly, put it out there and see if it works. Speaking of gut, there is a tension between, so if you're deciding what features to focus on for the next sprint or the next product iteration, there's a tension between the data that you're going to get from doing something extremely granular and numerical like A-B testing a feature uh, and the idea of surveying users or getting anecdotes or getting these user stories that may be more one-off. How do you decide what types of features to focus on? Are you looking at things like A-B tests or are you looking more at surveying users and getting anecdotes? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably doing both at different times for different reasons. Um, it definitely depends on the life cycle, you know, where in the life cycle of a product um, that you are. Probably at the very beginning when I'm doing something like an MVP, um, I will have done a lot more um, market research. That might be surveys. Um, in my case, it's more likely to be uh, interviews with people. So face-to-face conversations, uh, watching them use other tools, those kind of things to sort of build a, a direction. And then I'm probably going to do something small to start off with. And then I might use A-B testing. Uh, it really depends on how quickly I need to get feedback. A-B testing, I think, um, you know, it's really great for some organizations. And for other organizations, it can be actually really quite challenging to do it. If you don't get enough data quickly, um, you sort of have to leave those tests out there for a long time to get any sort of result with any stati um, statistical meaning. So I think it really depends on um, the stage of the life cycle of the product um, and the kind of changes that you are making um, and also sort of the, the um, amount of bandwidth that you have. So my default tendency is to have, a com have conversations with people. I feel like that gives me a much bigger um, surface area to understand our users. I learn a lot more doing that than doing a survey perhaps um, because I'm actually like looking at them and I can see their emotions. And then we like to put features out there and, and get feedback about them um, and only do A-B testing for very specific um, cases where we're trying to encourage people to um, uh, work in a certain way perhaps or to make a choice about a layout for a page um, in, a, in a sort of usability test way. Um, we wouldn't A-B test everything because it would take too long for us to get feedback. We'd rather just put our first um, 
first thought out there or you know our first design out there and and use um user feedback um conversations to get uh to understand how that went there's a famous quote by henry ford where he says if i would have asked customers what they wanted they would have said (laughs) a faster horse yes and so instead he gave them a car which is not something they were asking for i could see this happening in the realm of a product manager where if you just keep asking the customers what they want and looking at the local maxima that a b tests suggest you end up with a product that is not uh, a step change is it is it a responsibility of a product manager to think about that step change product development or is that something that's the responsibility of somebody higher up in the chain how do you get how do you develop products that are uh, you know not uh, closely tied with whatever is the the local maximum of what you're developing yeah i i i think this is a really great great question because i think it's really uh, quite challenging and i think that um, one of the things that a lot of us like to do you know we're we're engineers or we have that sort of kind of background um we we'd like to think that there's like this process you know you put something in and something else comes out um and i and i just don't believe that that that's true um and you can't just like like you said ask the customer and they'll give you the answer um and i'm a big believer in um it being the product manager's responsibility to look beyond um yeah the local maxima um particularly because the product managers in our organization um, and the roles that I have are um, singularly responsible for a product and we don't have multiple product managers for a single product. And so when we have that one person, um, they're responsible for the whole, you know, that whole product. I would definitely expect them to be looking for step change things themselves and not just, you know, following, oh, my customer said this, so I'm doing this. Or my sales team said this, I'm doing it. Or my founder said this, I'm doing it. I definitely would not expect that. And I think that's a particular skill for a product manager to hear the market, um, hear exactly Exactly what they're saying, but not just do what they say, um, but really understand the underlying needs of that market um, and what the opportunities are and to do that. Um, that's in, in general, I would expect that there definitely are like large organizations where you have product managers for specific features. Um, and you may have like a product manager for a group of products or, um, a head of product. Um, and in those cases, you know, the, that responsibility might lie with those people and is perhaps more likely to come from those people because they're just, they're just Um, by the nature of their role, have much more visibility into the opportunities um, that they can take. Um, But I think the key thing is somebody within the product organization, um, you know, in everybody's business needs to be thinking about that. I think if you don't think about that, then um, you're almost ultimately building something that will eventually be superseded by somebody else um, and, and probably quite like the eventually being fairly quickly Um, because I think so many build so many people build great software you need to be doing something more than just building what was completely obvious do you work in sprints we don't on our team Um, we uh, some teams in ThoughtWorks um, will either use scrum so they use sprints or um, in XP we call it um, iterations Um, our team do not. Um, we work on more like a, a pool, a pool based model. So I just keep a, a backlog of items. Um, I prioritize it sometimes on a daily basis, but regularly planning to prioritize um, on a weekly basis. And then every morning we just talk about um, what are the most important things. If people are still working on things from the day before, they're most likely to carry on. Um, but sometimes we do stop work if there's urgent issues coming in. So we do a more a more pool-based model. Um, but we're very small, so I think it works very well for us because we can, we, you know, the few of us just talk together every morning and make those decisions. Um, in a larger, with a larger team, I would definitely expect um, uh, a bit more planning required to, you know, just for coordination purposes. 
Well, when I was working as an engineer, uh, most of the companies I worked at did sprints, mm-hmm. but I feel like over time, the uh, sprints, <laughs> sprints, sprints are more—they're more batch oriented, and mm-hmm. you know, we're moving towards a world where you can do things more continuously. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a sprint feels antithetical to that. It feels almost forced. I remember, you know, the last my last job at Amazon when we were doing these sprints, I was like, this feels forced. I don't know why we're orchestrating around this sprint idea when everybody on the team is kind of working at a different pace, they're working on different features, and we can all ship independently of each other. Do you think the idea of sprints are kind of outdated or getting outdated? Yeah, I think everything you describe is how I feel about sprints, to be perfectly honest with you. I feel like... Um, they are training wheels for organizations who were used to working in, you know, um, these ways where people were basically waterfall, where things were handed off and, and the timelines were a lot longer. And I feel like to me, the sprint is the training wheel to change that organization to say like, hey, first of all, you should all work together. And secondly, you should try to deliver something in a small period of time. Um, but I think very quickly, if the organization does make that change. And I think it's actually quite challenging for many organizations to make that change. And I still see a lot of organizations who are say they're doing sprints, but really they're still doing some terrible, you know, waterfall way of working. But I think for those people who, who, uh, you know, never needed the training wheels or, um, you know, quickly understood, okay, this is how, you know, this is how I want to work. Um, they do feel really restrictive um, and they have all this sort of ceremony around them that I personally, uh, yeah, I personally find it um, really distracting um, and kind of a waste. Yeah. <laughs> Let's let's talk about the product development process from a specific product point of view. You are focused on the Snap CI product, which is a tool for engineers to do continuous integration. It's also a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily, so I want listeners to understand that. But I think it's a good topic of discussion, both because there's a lot of people who are moving towards continuous integration or they are working on developer tools like the market of tools that are sold to developers is really expanding and i think there are actually a lot of people who are listening to this who are trying to build tools for developers so i i want to start with this conversation about how that how that works how does building a tool for engineers compare to building building things for other customer bases yeah it 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 is different. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I was struck by when um, building a de- you know very developer-focused tool like SnapCI is I made a lot of assumptions that developers as developers understood themselves as users of products. Um, so, so now I am, you know, I'm a developer and I use these CI products. Um, I thought that they would understand when talking to me that I was having a discussion with them as a user of a product. But what often happens is they talk to me as if they were a developer on building our product. Um, And so we'll very quickly get into implementations or they will want to understand how Snap is built behind the scenes. Um, And you just never have that kind of conversation with anybody you know anybody else if you're building even business to business software like um i built software for project managers before they rarely ask you um about those kind of things so that was very different is the curiosity or the kind of conversation um that developers um naturally want to have with me as a product manager for this kind of product is very different it means that i have to be quite formal or strict when I have a when I want to have a very specific type of conversation with someone. So I want to conduct a usability test or um, I want to ask very specific questions and get answers to them. Um, I'm finding that I can't do it quite as casually or conversationally with people that I used to before because I don't get the information that I want because it, it goes a sort of certain way, which is normally to the guts of the, the product, which, you know, 
makes sense. Um, so I've just learned that I need to be like, okay, I need to schedule time with you and I'm going to, you know, be, have a script and, um, sort of make it very clear that this is the kind of, um, thing that I want to do. Um, and interestingly, when I do that, it actually makes, um, I found that it makes those people much more reluctant to want to do it because suddenly then they are very, um, it's very clear to them that they are users of software then rather than like an expert um, in software development. So that's one thing (laughs) um, that has sort of really, really been different to me. And I think as builders of software, we should be aware that um, our users are maybe not aware that they are users of software. So that's one thing. Um, And then the second thing is... um, uh, expectations are higher. I feel like the expectations of us um, as fellow software developers, um, we set on ourselves are probably higher and also that our users set on us than I've experienced before. One aspect of that is really clear if perhaps we have a bug um, or, um, you know, sometimes you have um, incidences. Um, our users ask us a lot more questions about like, oh, what happened there? Or what was the cause of that? And they really want um, useful explanations. And again, what I've learned from that is that they want to learn from us. Um, So it's not necessarily that um, they're in any way judging that. It's just like, oh, like, I want to know if that happened on my product. Like, how would I react to that? Um, And that's a very different interaction that we have with our users. We definitely want to be a lot more open about how we build software, um, about how we handle particular cases because we found that people are hugely interested in that and then are therefore, you know, more interested in in who we are. Um, and then the other thing is I feel like they're also more understanding when we do have things like that. So explaining to any other type of user um, why something happened. Um, let's say a good example would be like Snap is... Um, hugely integrated with GitHub. And if GitHub has a problem, which, um, you know, in the last couple of months, there was a um, a denial of service attack um, that impacted GitHub, um, all of our users, you know, they don't ask us any questions because they just know what's going on. They're like, oh, yeah, this thing is going on. Oh, my God. Ah. But if that happened, if our users were other types of users, they'd be like, what's going on? And our explanation that um, there's a denial of service on, you know, um, some DNS server somewhere else is <laughs> not going to make sense to anyone. But for our users, they're like, oh, my God, got you. That must be shit, right? And we're like, yeah, glad we're not them. And we have a very different conversation than if it was, you know, if I was dealing with banking customers or um, media customers that I did before, um, I would probably be having to explain why we rely on this other system. Um, whereas our users are like, okay, yeah, got it. What you said about the conversations that you have with developers is interesting to me. Like I have a lot, so I request a lot of feedback from users for the podcast and the conversations that I have in the general Slack channel are useful. Um, but the really good feedback I get is often when somebody sends me an email and they'll be like, Oh, I listened to the show. I'm a fan of the show. I particularly liked this episode. I have a recommendation for you. You should check out this topic. And then I'll respond to them and I'll be like, hey, thanks for the email. By the way, I would love any other criticism or any feedback. Is there anything really subtle that you've been thinking about? And then they'll often respond with like a really detailed email where they will talk about something that I had no idea, some like problem with the podcast that I had never identified Um but I, I think this kind of gets at what you were saying, where there's these different kinds of feedback. There's the things that they're that they will say to you offhandedly or in the public, or if you just like ask for a broad survey. And then there's the other things that, if you really dive deep with them or you set up some sort of like user session, mm-hmm. then they'll really tell you what is at the bottom of their hearts about the product. Yes, yes, it's definitely multi-level, and you sort of have to build that relationship with people, um, which I think. I'd never really noticed it before. And I think perhaps I thought would be easier because we are, you know, we're all doing the same thing, but um, it definitely requires this sort of growing and yeah, this process to get to it. Um, And then it's like you said, it's hugely, hugely valuable when you get to it. And that's, you know, that's what we need to get to.
There are a ton of continuous integration tools in the market. Yes. When, <laughs> when, 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 when you started building SnapCI, did you look at the other tools for inspiration or did you go from first principles from the personal experience of people at ThoughtWorks? How did you, how, what was the ideation process like for this highly competitive market? Yeah, um, that is really uh, interesting. Um, I was actually not the product manager when they first started, but I do know what happened. Um, I would say that without exception, the products that we build are built from principles or visions in mind. Um, We definitely don't look at the market and say there's an opportunity there for something. Um, For the sake of doing something, it's almost always driven by um, some more fundamental um, desire to do something in the software industry. So with Snap, um, it was definitely deployment pipelines um, in the cloud is the thing that was driving us to build Snap CI. So we already had a, a CI or a continuous delivery product. It was called Go. Um, That's an on-premise piece of software. And we wanted to do something similar in the cloud. So we were definitely driven, you know, by a a, a goal and a vision in mind. That being said, um, we definitely looked at the competitive products, um, specifically the cloud products at the time to see what they were doing, um, to see the kind of, um, you know, paradigms that they were using, the kind of metaphors in the UI, um, the kind of designs that they have. And I think... Um, it's hugely important that even if you are sort of a, a mission driven or, a, you know, um, have a vision for your product, that you are aware of the market because that's ultimately you're going to be compared to um, by your users um, all the time. And so it's sort of, you know, more than just due diligence. You really do need to know what they're doing, um, even if it's only so that you can answer questions for your customers and those kind of things. The emphasis on cloud, I think cloud is one of these things, it's it's like mobile where everybody knows it's a big deal, but even people who know it's a big deal probably underestimate how big of a deal it is. What are the ways that the cloud has influenced how we do CI, like to the, to the degree where you feel like you had to build a completely different CI product for cloud deployment? Yeah, I think there's kind of two big parts to it that um, influence, maybe the first is influence software development and the second is influence our product. I think the advent of um, distributed version control um, versus the sort of, you know, um, on-premise, your your own source code management really did Um, change the way that people think about software development and definitely get um, change the way that people build software um, for sure. And I can see that um, very, very clearly when I compare the organizations that I know who are still using, you know, something like TFS or Subversion um, and the organizations that use Git and understand how Gitflow works and those kind of things. So I think that's the first one, like the idea that you could be dis- this could be distributed really changed the way people thought about how any of their tools could work and so that that just naturally leads to this idea okay well my sources um you know i'm my, first of all i've got distributed source control then i've got github or gitlab my sources in the cloud somebody else has got it um then i think it sort of naturally leads to well okay maybe my build servers can be in the cloud as well um, maybe i can be doing Um, continuous integration that way. Um, And the second part is, I think, um, the sort of growth in this idea that um, we can all build software. Um, um, You know, I can... um, I can start a startup and do these kind of things. I think the idea that more and more people want to work um, on things themselves or with small groups of people mean that they can't have these big um, data centers where all this kind of um, infrastructure is that they need to be able to get started quickly. Um, So the sort of idea of things as a service um, really influences the types of products that we have with Snap. So you just get sort of 
being used to being sort of cloud native, I guess. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but like your default is just somebody else looks after this. I pay them to look after it so that I don't have to. Um, and then it's very easy to see how something like Snap would sit in, fit in. And then, you know, things like um, serverless architectures um, sort of move on from that. And this idea that um, you can build things without actually having to look after or own the infrastructure. Or write tests, thankfully. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any advice for engineers who are looking to switch to being product managers or vice versa? I think most of the people listening to the show are, are engineers, but some of them probably want to switch to product management. And there probably are some product managers listening who want to switch to engineering. Do you have any advice around those? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the biggest thing that I looked for with um, product managers when we're looking for them or I look for them myself is um, the role is, is so diverse and it really does depend on different types of organizations. Um, but the product manager needs to sort of be well-rounded and a whole bunch of skills. And so if I'm an engineer um, moving towards product management, um, I probably um, am pretty technically savvy and um, fairly analytical. And perhaps I have a decent amount of experience handling um, support requests and some, you know, urgent issues like that. But perhaps I don't have um, experience in um, customer management or uh, working with stakeholders or sales teams. Um, so really what I would be looking for is someone to assess like which of the skills of a product manager um, am I lacking and where should I get, um, how can I start to get those? Um, so a good um, a good way to do that as an engineer, I've often seen is um, start to be seen as a leader. Um, so either, you know, raise your hand if there's a particular feature um, and sort of go deep on that feature and really understand it. Um, try to understand the users of that particular feature and maybe be an advocate for users. I think if you can start to demonstrate that you understand um, the broader um, the broader aspects of product development, um, particularly either in understanding your users, or perhaps you could go in the direction of understanding process. So we talked about sprints earlier. Maybe um, you can start to be an engineer who um, you know has opinions about how you how your team works. Um, that might be another way to sort of grow your skills um, and be seen as someone who's um, you know. Um, more well-rounded because um, that's what I would be looking for in product management. And then with prod, um, and then with product managers who want to be engineers, um, I actually think that maybe this is more challenging. I don't know. Um, but I think like you need to start to build something. Um, and that's what I see happening. Um, I actually have a, a friend, um, who, who just, um, she did a whole bunch of online tutorials and then she actually uh, went and did a, a code, boot camp. I think that that would be one way to go. Um, another way I think to go would be um, trying to spend more time with your engineers. But I think that's kind of hard, you know, in your day to day life, because you've, you've got to get your day job done. And it's not to learn to code. Um, but that would definitely be one way to do it is to perhaps show more of an interest in that in your in your day to day role. But I think for because the skills are so very specific. I would say with a product manager, you definitely going to have to do it either outside. You probably, you know, um, be self-taught either outside of work or go do some sort of um, educational training. Whereas I think an engineer to a product manager, probably you can learn enough of those skills on the job, perhaps to look for an opportunity in your own organization. Um, or as long as you've uh, sort of demonstrated that you have that broadness to your skills. Is there anything that is changing about product management today that maybe is subtle or something we have not covered, um, some sort of trend or counterintuitive uh, direction that product management is going in, or is it is it the same as it's always been? It's yeah, no, it's definitely not the same as it's always been. And I think it, it really is changing. Um, and I think that you touched on a couple of those things that I think are really important to product managers and some of the questions you asked me. So the changing, um, the 
the the pace at which we build software um, is actually very impactful on how product managers have worked and will continue to work. The idea that you can um, have an idea for something, visualize something um, in the morning um, and be shipping it perhaps in the afternoon or the next day um, is like fairly, you know, a really big step change for some product managers who were previously working with, you know, 12 or 24 month um, roadmaps. And that's hugely influential on the kind of decision making that a product manager needs to uh, make, um, the kind of attention that they need to pay every day to the state of their product. Um, It's actually quite likely that a product manager who, you know, used their own product um, one week to the next would have a a different experience. Um, And that's, you know, that's very different than even when I first, not that old, but even when I first started making um, (laughs) products, you wouldn't use your product one week and then use it the next week and expect anything other than you know, maybe even a bug to have been fixed. Um, But now the experience could be very different because we're just building and releasing software at a very different pace. And I think that that definitely influences product managers. Um, And then the other one is the amount of data that we have available. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk about big data and how data is important. And and you and I touched on um, A-B testing. I think that sometimes data... The idea that the data has the answer and, um, you know, the data is going to solve this problem for me can be quite distracting for product managers. Um, I see them like, you know, always running tests or turning these tiny little um, minuscule, like we talked about the local maxima all the time without thinking about the bigger thing that they're trying to achieve. Um, So I think like the, yeah, the pace at which we build and sort of, the idea that we really still need to stay very high level and, and and very aware of the full landscape rather than on these minuscule um, pieces of information that we have um, is very important because it's very easy to get distracted um, with like all of this information that we have and, and all of the pace that's going on. And I think that's a very big, important part of the product manager's role in the organization and for the team is to keep them very grounded on like, okay, you know, what is this big thing we're trying to do? How can this piece of information help us now, but not let it be, you know, distracting for us? All right. Well, Susie, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to hear your perspective on product management. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really lovely. 